Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rome Season 2, Episode 2, Son of Hades, is over. But here on Post Show Recaps, we're just getting started with the fall of Rome. My name is Grace, but of course I'm not alone. I'm here with GM Philly. Philly, how you doing? I am so good. I'm really excited to talk about my dad, Hades. <laughs> you're the you're the son of Hades? I'm, uh, sh- <laughs> I didn't want to reveal it that quickly, but I guess I did just explicitly reveal it immediately at the top of the podcast, so hey. my bad, you know? Hey, better better than being Hades himself. You can have daddy issues with your dad Hades. That's fine. It doesn't mean you're like your dad, you know? All the best demigods have daddy <laughs> issues yeah, or something, something like that. Like that. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, episode two of Rome as we're here on the fall of Rome. Make sure you subscribe, pushrecaps.com slash Rome so you don't miss an episode. Rich, I love this episode. I thought this was very, very good. Me too. This is one of my actual favorite episodes of the show. Like, yeah. I think there's so many good ones at the end of season one. I was asking you yesterday how your take of season two is. Uh, this was like a question that was posited to us before we got into it. Of like, I'm really curious to see how you guys feel about season two. But I love this like Breaking Bad uh, Lucius Verrettis arc. It's like so, so good. The the whole thing that we're doing here really, uh, I'm excited to talk through it um yeah it's like what do i have to lose you know i got uh, you know all my family is dead so you know can't i think the last exact line of the episode is like what else could the gods do to me it's like well by the end of the episode i don't want to find out um yeah um so yeah i I really enjoyed this i think it's it's very good i also think the octavian mark antony stuff is really intriguing to me so yeah i liked it all and again this is an episode that sort of like intermingles them again i feel like they're pretty separate last episode there's uh, literally like last episode we have like two funerals happening and so there's yep. sort of the niobe crew and then the caesar crew this episode we do get some mark antony varenis uh, uh scenes uh, to, or one scene together um and and we're going to intermingle the storylines again so i thought it was good yeah yeah me too no i mean we get the uh, the return of our queen from the south here that's right cleopatra it's like very very fun uh the you know the verena stuff i really enjoy and it's an interesting pivot you know episode one like we talked about the way that it picks right up on the heels of caesar and it kind of like resets the table like so much of the conversation over the last couple of weeks has been about these two stories that are happening side by side of like the common people and then like these high nobles the politicians 
kings and the senators of Rome, as it were. So I like that we're like merging them back together a good bit. But um, yeah, we just do a bunch of interesting things here that I think drive the season with some clear direction in a pretty compelling way. Like this is a, this is a pretty important episode to set up everything else we're going to do in season two. All right. Well, let me let me bring in the newsreader to deliver a quick plot recap. And here he is. Salve again, loyal citizens of Rome. In a city beset by power struggles and personal trials, Mark Antony assumes control of Rome, but Octavian demands his rightful inheritance. Octavian offers the people of Rome the money set aside in Caesar's will, but must take out a loan to make sure it is paid. The enigmatic Cleopatra arrives seeking recognition for her son Caesar as the offspring of Caesar. Lucius Varenus, burdened with sorrow over the loss of his wife and children and his perceived failure to protect Julius Caesar, finds himself in despair, and thus Titus Pullo, ever the loyal friend, beseeches Mark Antony for aid. Antony assigns Varenus a daunting task, ending the vicious gang wars that have erupted in uh, Aventin after the demise of Erastes Fulman. To bring the warring gang leaders to the negotiating table, Varenus invokes the goddess Concordia, capitalizing on their superstitious reverence of her. Yet, when the gang leaders refuse his overtures, Varenus commits an act of sacrilege by des desecrating the goddess's image and declaring himself son of Hades. Varenus, convinced that the gods have done their worst to him, feels unshaken by fear, but we then see his children on a slave cart uh, being taken away. In the shadow of power struggles and personal turmoil, Rome stands on the precipice of change. Ave Rome. And that is what happens on Son of Hades, Rich. Ave Rome. I am a son of Hades. Oh, my God. The children are alive, Grace. They're uh, alive. Really, he shouldn't have cursed them. <laughs> he should not have cursed he them. He didn't seal the curse, though. He hasn't killed no, them. I mean, although he has now spilled a ton of bloodshed. So yes. did he? So did he? Um, well, he spilled a ton of blood, but he did not do it with the specific measure to seal the curse. So I think Pula would okay. say that that's an unsealed curse. The technicality. Yeah. Brother, that's an unsealed curse. Um, yeah, I don't know where you would have started, but I think there's a lot of fun stuff to take apart for this episode. I actually think the Verena stuff and Bozov is so interesting that I actually want to save it. I feel like mm -hmm. we should start with um, Mark Antony and Octavian's power struggle over the course of, of this episode. I love Mark Antony trying to rule over Rome. He's got Pasca with him and literally everybody continuing to ask him for money or things and him getting so frustrated by it is very funny. It's fantastic, right? Like, of course they're asking for the money, you know? Uh, Octavian and, like, the whole maneuver, like, the money for the people. He's like, what about the money, Mark Antony? What about the money? And, like, Mark Antony really does not have much in terms of clout, right? He's right. got this, like, position that he and Octavian were able to kind of brainstorm to keep himself in, in terms of the regent, like, temporarily. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole, like, posturing of the two of them together, uh, posturing, not poscaing, mm -hmm. it, like, it, it it is going to like strengthen both their positions, but ultimately, like as soon as he hands the money over, what does he really have? Right. He's got a little bit the loyalty of the people, but there's even like this element of like, without the money, how are you going to pay the soldiers? Right. Like most of like the legions are not like just sitting outside of Rome waiting to like go to war with anybody. So he's in a, a not terrific position. And I think that that's like part of the frustration coming out, but part of it is also clearly like, he's not that kind of guy. He doesn't really want, to deal with like the accounting or any of these just like oh my god leave me alone <laughs> i can't i love mark anthony's depiction so much of the show grace it's pretty fun yeah just as octavian is like i shall get into politics this is my my destiny is to do it i love mark anthony 
seemingly being a little bit over his head or frustrated by the whole thing. Um, he says, I think last episode, like he's a meager soldier. He wants to get out. He'll leave once his term as consul is done. I believe that's part of the agreement last episode. And so him immediately being annoyed by all of it is so funny this episode. And then he's going to, you know, there's a new, a new visitor as Cleopatra arrives and you can tell that Mark Antony is quite smitten with her uh, right off the bat. Although that will ultimately lead to him being slapped both backhand and frontend. I thought that was very good form from Cleopatra. Oh yeah, she really does uh, lay into him there. She's here. She's got like the Caesar kid, who is not Caesar's kid. It's little Caesar Pulo. Okay, but is that we don't know that for sure, right? Like we, you're just we should you're just know guessing? that for sure. I think that like given everything we've seen on the screen, like she basically is like Caesar's coming. I'm like ovulating. Bring me a Roman, you know, <laughs> they right. bring her Titus Pulo. Like that was the entire motivation of that encounter was to like impregnate her with a child that she could claim was Caesar's because but she it knew still could be Caesar's though. Right. Isn't that true? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's certainly true. I think that is certainly true. I will I say you like have, you have toyed with this. I hate the idea that it's, it's Pulo's kid. I do. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't, I don't, I, I, there is a thing of like, I like sometimes the way that like things are intermingled, but this one feels like too much. I don't know that it's like, it's actually Titus Pulo's I, I love, who's supposed, who's, who's Caesar, you know, who's Caesar's kid, you know? I, I love like that it. whole like scene of her bringing them in of like Varenus, like yes. not being able to yes. do it. Yes. I'm so like smitten by it. And again, like I'm not, uh, I've seen the show, you know, I have not You're like right. rewatched all of it since we're here. And I don't mean to be like speaking in a way that's spoilery. I'm just doing TV deduction. Right. They right. show us a scene like and it's an important scene. It's a big scene. It's more than one scene. It's like a whole set piece of an episode, not a set piece, maybe that ultimately like Cleopatra wants to like sleep with one of these Roman soldiers right. to ensure that she will be pregnant once Caesar leaves Rome. Right. Um, like, like presumably she knows she's going to try to seduce Caesar. That's not even a foregone conclusion yet, except she's Cleopatra. Like it kind of is like she knows she's going to be able to get him. So the question then is like, it could be Caesar's kid. Yes. But we went really out of our way to be like, now is the time. This is the moment. And they've talked right. a lot about um, like female cycles and like the moon movements. And like, this is not going to be likely. Right. It was a thing that I think even came up with Octavian and Octavia when they like laid together. Right. Where right. he's like, well, probably we don't need to worry about that because of the moon, you know, um, which is like really fascinating element to consider too. In terms I mean, of like, yeah, there there is like uh, unclear if like so the actual cesarean is Caesar's son like Cleopatra insisted it's true, but there's no like there's really no way to to know. I think like this is like pretty historic. So like the idea that they're playing into that. Yeah, I just do not like that. It's Titus Bulos kid, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, just, you know, you as a, like, very uh, discerning TV watcher, you know, like, it, it seems like that's what they want us to, like, be considering at least, right? Like, am I, am right. I overstepping? No, I don't. I know. I don't yeah. think, I, I don't think so. But I real I really don't like it as a, I guess I maybe, like, just like, I thought it was more of a funny joke than, than, actively them trying to think that that's what it is. And I really actually hate the choice if that's what, it, I think it's very funny as, like, a, that's funny, 
but I don't like it as a. Yeah, I mean, I do yeah. think it's kind of like irrelevant because what is relevant is what you just articulated, which is what's happening on the show. That she's going to like, regardless of whoever it's kid, it might be she is perpetually going to insist. No, no, this is Caesar's kid, and right. Mark Anthony is like, "F you, terrible things will happen before I'm going to name that kid Caesar's actual well, son." I would like to say that he says that kid will eat shit and die before he. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that on the Well you did you said it yeah. uh, Mark Anthony yeah. really like He's a pull at any punches I love her slapping him around And her talking about how Not replaceable but like um, it, What is the word that she uses A couple of times She's just like you're interchangeable Or something like right. that Like oh yeah I didn't notice you last time He's like oh we met we met when we came to Egypt She's like did we yeah. Okay you know <laughs> <laughs> whatever yeah the depiction of cleopatra here is really interesting obviously like i mean the the fact that like yeah the scene that we're talking about with like pulo and and Varenis before and that she's like you know she's very much using this thing that she has that like she doesn't you know as a woman you know in 44 bc or whatever um does maybe not have as much power she is like yeah she's like ruling uh, uh egypt but at the same time like um there is inherent sexism at the time and so she you know when when uh antony sort of tries to insult her and she says like i will prostitute myself as long as it serves my interests or, or something along those lines it's like okay like it's it's a very interesting depiction um i think of but i mean you talk about the mark antony uh depiction here is is being great i think the the cleopatra um depiction here is very interesting as this woman who she'll do what she needs to to do and if that means think sexualizing herself and whatever she needs to do and yeah she's like choosing not to do it with mark antony which like then annoys him uh, to a great degree you know yeah uh well she like gives it to him of like uh usually like you know the customer pays first by the way you right. know uh, like the right. whole dynamic there between the two of them is fantastic i you know it's one of these things that i i always try to be thoughtful about in in, in terms of like talking about this kind of a depiction as like a man looking back two thousand years into this world but i think it shows really an incredible like strength of character you know and like resolution when we go back to where we met her where she's like blown out of her mind on opium and like they're mm -hmm. like oh yeah we're gonna kill her while she's being carried around the, the desert like hiding from her brother ptolemy there like she has maneuvered and, and she's using the resources she has available to her disposal to do the best job she can to govern right and one of the resources she has is her femininity her desirability her beauty right uh two thousand years later like we're still talking about her in those terms you know this is like what the like touchstone of cleopatra so the fact that she's able to like recognize the strength of available to her in that and leverage it as best she can is is compelling to me and i think that it's like um uh, you know i think it speaks to her strength uh as well as to like the absolute dysfunction of the times right yeah so this is going to lead a little bit into there's a lot going on with like atia mark antony octavian a little bit of octavia um is like we get this like you know breakfast uh conversation where it's like okay can i please have the inheritance and atia's going to be like Come on, he's family. It's like actually he's not. Um yeah, technically. Yeah, uh technically he is he is not. Um but also Atia is going to be pretty annoyed especially at the party later which he like sees Cleopatra and is like, "Oh man, you're you're like so in love with her. Like you you are so attracted to her." And he's like, "I did not touch her, never. Not once," which is not true. He is lying. He did touch her. Uh that's why he got slapped. Um yeah, and in the midst of this, like they're holding the party with Cleopatra. Um, also at the part, there's this whole thing with Servilia, which we'll get into in terms of like 
she almost got axed this episode and luckily does not but yeah i i like the way it's just all all spliced together here uh yeah i think it like you know the whole dynamic of everything that's happening in the house is pretty compelling these like moving pieces i really love like octavian trying to find his stones and like situate yeah. his feet here you know as he's like beginning to make these maneuvers he's making this choice to move into political life like he clearly has the acumen for it what else is this guy gonna do you know and he has mm -hmm. been air and wants to like follow through on caesar's wishes to a degree right and it seems like it's not um you know as much as we've seen of this kid and i was pretty critical of him early on i'm like what a little shit you know mm -hmm. but he really does seem to want the best for rome right in the way that like caesar had this like ideology about like preserving the city and keeping it intact and like doing the best for the people of rome for the romans right and like maintaining the institution that is the city that seems to be what's driving him uh, Atia is like this absolutely like petty emotional creature in in the midst of this dynamic between Octavian and Anthony is mm -hmm. just brilliant, right? Like it's just this one agitator in the situation that's always going to make it tougher. Even when she tries to like make it better, she makes it worse sometimes. And I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, uh, agreed. And she sort of I I like the idea that Atia stuck between the these the two of them, right? Like her son. And her lover. I think that that's really interesting. And she gets stuck in the middle of it when, when not really in the middle of it, but Octavian is going to be the one to be like, hey, I sent Timon outside. I'm pretty sure you're going to try to kill Servilia. You absolutely cannot do that. And I'm going to go tell Mark Antony and he's going to stop you. <laughs> that's what happened. Mark Antony goes out or Servilia goes out and it's like, Timon, I don't need your services, actually. Please do not kill Servilia. <laughs> it's like a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I don't know. Everything that's like happening with the whole like Servilia dynamic is is kind of like fascinating. Like the 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 whole like notion of like the rest of the senators, like Cicero is like coming to her and like talking to her about how like everything is gonna break down. She's like created hell for the whole city, right? Like she's ultimately in the same way that I love Lindsay Duncan, I love Servilia as a character. I was so higher in the beginning, like a woman scorned has like rent this city in half, right? Like there's a weakness there that I think is like juxtaposed against Cleopatra like trying to rule as best she can where like Servilia's like base impulses have like literally created like a schism in the city that is going to like lead to a pretty epic breakdown you know the um the gall of not the gauls but the the gall the gauls the gall of, of Atia to whisper in Cleopatra's ear when she leaves like i hope you die <laughs> pretty wild pretty wild I think it's kind of fun to play with this idea that we know the story of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And so the idea to basically, you know, I know Cleopatra is not reciprocating anything to Mark Antony, but that Mark Antony is so smitten with her. And then that Atia can see that I actually think is a smart choice rather than, you know, we, we, you know, we know Mark Antony, we know Atia. I feel like it's not just that. I feel like this plays into what we know about Mark Antony and Cleopatra, but it also fits with their character that Mark Antony is a bit, you know, he can be a little bit scummy, sleazy. I mean, last episode, right? He's like, Oh yeah. Let me have wanted. sex with you before the wet or the funeral. And then and then Atia being this like incredibly vindictive person you know i think it reads authentic too you know we talked about like the retelling of the stories last episode in the way that that's like an authentic thing that's really relatable in this day and age the notion that this man's like longtime lover she's not jealous about like oh yeah you could sleep with the slaves or the, the this like she doesn't care right it's about 
the, the affection and the dedication and the commitment. And she sees a real threat in Cleopatra as well. She should, because while Attia is like this noble Roman woman with wealth and prestige and like a name of like importance, as it were, like Cleopatra is the literal queen, right? And like, this is bad. This could be like really bad. This is one of the few people that actually like threatens her ego. Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that she can read in Mark Antony, like, Oh, you may not have touched her. Like, even if you are being honest with me, I know you want to, you bastard, right? And she's, yeah. like, not having any of it. Like, die screaming, pig spawn, trollop. Like, that's uh, that's pretty strong terms. And it's also, like, incredible stones on her that she's, like, willing to do this to a queen of, like, a foreign monarchy just because she's, like, in her living room, in yeah. her place of power, right? Yeah. When we go back to, like, rewind to where we kind of picked up at the beginning of last episode like she's, she's on the ready run. to like head for yeah. the hills right yeah. so like what i love about atia's characterization is how how adaptive she is like that's like been her huge kind of defining attribute to me besides like her terrible parenting since the mm -hmm. beginning like as the circumstances of the political situation and landscape change she's willing to make moves immediately now we're with pompey now we're back with caesar now you're gonna you're gonna get divorced you're gonna get remarried like i'm gonna actually kill glabius like forget that you could never remarry that guy mm -hmm. like she's quick to maneuver and quick to like react and respond and i think that that's like a check in like the positives of, of atia's attributes you know well she's gonna react pretty strongly when uh the newsreader reveals that octavian is giving out the money that was uh, ordered in Caesar's will and that he's actually taken out a loan to do so. And she reacts and also Mark Antony reacts as he actually starts beating him up, uh, shoving his face in the water, um, etc. So pretty tense here. Um, I talked about last episode that it felt like we were setting up Octavian versus Mark Antony. And certainly we get it pretty quick in terms of a, even a physical alter altercation. Yeah, it's incredible. This whole beat to the way it all plays out of like, you know, Mark Anthony flips out and, and starts wailing on him, but she holds himself back right yeah. after holding him in the water. And he like does the thing of like, I'm putting my, I'm walking away. Yeah. I am walking away, but Octavian's not having it anymore. I had a moment exactly like this, Grace. I did not use the same terminology that Octavian used, but I very much remember a moment precisely like this where like my mother and I were fighting where I'm getting in and I and I like threw that last word like I was such a clever 14 year old and my grandfather who was like a very old pretty slow man he flew like Mark Antony across the room so I couldn't help but like really be mm -hmm. in Octavian's shoes here I'm like oh my god dude this guy could absolutely kill you by the way right. you know like, right. that would not end well for him but like what are you even thinking about kid but he's coming into his own a little bit you know he's he's a man now as he points out mm -hmm. you named that one line a couple of episodes ago like i'm your son i am not your child and that's right. a really important distinction like he knows damn well what he's doing in terms of like politically forcing their hands mm -hmm. and you gotta wonder i mean we can be results oriented i guess he didn't really overplay his hand right but no. um it feels a little bit like that in the moment as he's like comes up against the pair of them yeah yeah, uh, I like it. And then this is also where uh, Cicero is going to go visit Servilia and be like, well, that's pretty good news about, you know, that clearly Octavian and Mark Antony will destroy each other from the inside and we'll be good to go. Let's just take no action. Let's wait. They'll destroy themselves, which it, it, 
is right and wrong, probably, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got the right read, but, like, take no action maybe is not the right approach, right? Yeah. He does have mostly the right read, though, here, right? Of, like, these guys are going to all turn on each other, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah, and Octavian's heading out of the city, leaves a note for uh, for his mom. He's he's bidden farewell to Rome for the time being. Um, all right, let's talk about let's talk about everything that happens with Ferenis and Titus Pulo this episode. Let's, let's, um, let's. I the idea so Lucius Ferenis being in such despair and he's just lying in bed and is depressed. You know, fair. Um, when Mark Antony comes because Titus Pulo has asked him for help. And the way that Pulo is in the background as Mark Antony is talking to Varenas and he's like, this must be the head of, of Orestes. He's like, yes, I tried to throw it out, but it brings him great comfort. Is like so funny. The way that Pulo is like chiming in to like explain everything that's happening to Varenas is very funny as Mark Antony is extremely mad that Varenas is like, he basically tells him like, I can't believe you haven't killed yourself, you know? Yeah, it's fantastic. I love I love Pulo like going to Mark Anthony of like, I don't know what to do with them, sir. Pretty please. good. Yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> I need some help. And like the little bit of like uh we talked about it last episode, right? The whole like Atia kind of revealing to Mark Anthony, like, no, 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 Veredis didn't get paid off. Yeah. Like a witch whispered in his ear, he was yeah. drawn away, you know. Uh -huh. And Mark Anthony just goes uh, like the whole beat here of like, look, if you're not gonna kill yourself, I have work for you. Like your name will be dishonored. You have totally failed forget your wife and your children who cares caesar is dead you know you fool um and it's it just like awesome the way that he comes in of like officer in the room officer in the room the, the head beat does crack me up i mean like i've been around some dead rotting dead this heads? is not great yeah oh. i've spent a lot of time around a lot of dead heads grace mm -hmm. uh the 90s were a wild time for me yep <laughs> yep i believe it yeah i love it i love the 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 Practical effects on the head is so good. Yeah, he chucks it out, and even like the way that both of them pull in front of him, gasping that he would dare throw the head out. He threw out his comfort head. Yeah, but I, I like this as Mark Antony. It's a problem that that basically Varenis started, which is the the Aventine is you know that's where like the docks and the the grain shipments come in. This is a place that because Erastes has been dead, there's this power vacuum, and all of these these gangs basically are trying to fight for control over it. And so Mark Antony decides to to send Varenis to fix it. Uh, you know, fair enough. He's like, you killed you killed Fullman. Um, perhaps you can go and restore order. And just the way he does it is so ruthless. It's yeah, it's um, it's pretty pretty intense from from Unlucius Varenis. A real black-hearted villain, Grace. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. like, you know, the greater thing of, like, the Aventine here, this is a bunch of the dock ward. It's, like, a bunch of, like, transport. We're talking about goods, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, like, the easiest way. To no, no. Lucius Ferenis is a bad. No, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. He's a bad handling the goods. Uh, but this is, like, the easiest way to be able to, like, skim from the top and, like, build your pool, right? And so, yeah. like, Pompey's death allowed or uh, um, Rastis to kind of, like, seize control and, like, get gain the power that he had there. Now his debts created this power vacuum again. Yeah. Like it really is kind of hilarious that we have to do like the mob boss story in the ancient Rome show, yeah. but yeah. it's pretty fantastic. Like I do love this turn for them of like Lucius Paredes as this black hearted villain, like, uh, you know, working his way through the place to kind of quell this gang war that he inadvertently started just on his personal revenge quest. You know, yeah. like it's a very logical kind of through line, but it's unconventional 
special. Like I didn't uh, anticipate this as we approached it. And so like, I just love it. I'm like titillated by the whole, like now they're going to be criminals, you know? I love it too. I think it's, it's very fun. And the idea, I think that the episode plays for, one of the things I was thinking is that they're not exactly swapped places like Pulo and Brennis, but to a degree they have swapped more than they haven't. And the idea that when we meet them, Brennis is such the lawful good man. Pulo is the sort of chaotic neutral or whatever you want to, wherever, you know. Yeah. I think they're both probably lawful, neutral, chaotic, neutral, but yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, But um, so the way that they've sort of swapped to a, to a degree and, you know, we have seen as much as like Pulo, you know, the, you talked about this last episode, just how much he loves that he, he worships the gods, right? He is a very yeah. religious man. And so, yeah, when Varenis is going to invoke the name that he is the son of Hades, Pulo's not particularly loving this version of Varenis that has arrived from, you know, raised from from the bed that he was lying in, uh, in his despair. Um, and yet it's totally reasonable, I think, the reaction for Varenis as he thinks literally everyone in his family is dead. I do really like the reveal. I I didn't say this. As I, was, I I thought that the you know I liked the slaughtering of the uh, in the spa house or the like Arastes place. I feel like you don't get there without him revealing that he's killed his men. I I was so worried, I guess, to a degree that like I, I was so happy to see that the kids aren't dead. Like I'm so happy that like the stuff that Arastes says he did to them did not happen. I just needed that to not be true, and I was pretty sure it was. But then I'm also like. Yeah, maybe this show, maybe it did. Maybe it got as dark as it's it's ever going to be to a degree. So happy it doesn't. And I really like the contradiction here with like Varenas having turned bad because he's lost everything when he actually hasn't lost everything. It's you know? fantastic. Yeah, it's a yeah. great reveal. It's it's an awesome pivot because Erastes in his final moments, like he's like, it doesn't matter. You're going to kill me. Like, right? right? Pulo is like saying to him at the end there, like, oh, you tell the truth and like maybe you live through this. And he's like, come on, I'm not going to live through this, you know? And so like yeah. in, in the like final moments, he's not going to like confess anything because like F you, Lucius Brennus, right? And the fact that like they take him at face value and they don't like try to like follow up which like how would you follow up how would you go try to like find these kids right but it never even like lucius forenis and the weight of his grief it never even occurs to him that it could be anything else because he cursed them right like he thinks that it ultimately like He's, he's perceiving Erastes as like the God's cat's paw to a degree, right? Like Erastes may have like done the deed, but like he's the one who created the problem by cursing the children in the first place. And now the gods are like taking that out on him. So the idea that he's so firmly entrenched and like, no, they're gone and like mired in this grief, I buy. Uh, and, and I love the kind of religious fear in Pulo of like, bro, this is serious. Like, what are you talking about? You can't name yourself of a son of Hades man this is really bad as he's gonna like smash up the statue right of of the other god it's just it's really intense you know and and within the context of this kind of like historical framing uh it it's pretty interesting right like the gods are scary if you think they're real it's really easy like sitting here on the other side of like my black mirror talking into a microphone in the 21st century to be like gods (laughs) you know (laughs) but like we've got a lot of science in the last 2000 years that have like changed the way that we look at the world and i know a lot of people still out there are like highly religious i don't mean to like discredit that or like speak ill of it or or, uh, any way but the notion of like if you truly believe if you have real faith the gods are absolutely terrifying grace there is nothing more terrifying right yeah for real yeah um 
we get Maskius arriving back into the scene. I mean, I did again, someone I, I really didn't think we maybe would see more of, but I think I kind of uh, love Maskius. Yeah. Yeah. He shows back up. He's talking about, yeah, the, he's the one he's like, I've heard about the black hearted villain who's in league with the gods below. And uh, Vranis is quite tickled with this. So um, yeah, Maskius, who we, who we last saw um, trying to negotiate to Vranis for the soldiers to get land was bribed and then um, was going to rescue Pulo, but ultimately doesn't. So, yeah, I think, you know, a veteran who shows back up, uh, you know, as Varenis is when he tells the Aventine gangs, like, well, now I'm in charge of Erastes' men. And they're like, great, they're all dead. Uh, he's like, okay, well, fine. I will find men who are willing to do my deeds. I think that interesting here to, yeah, like um, someone like Mascus to show up, who I feel like is, is interesting. He's a man who you know he's like you know we have to protect the veterans we need, they need lands to farm you know now that they were not at war also then willing to take a bribe and then was going to try and save pulo so I, I think a man who like i'm not really entirely sure where his but the idea that he's coming is like yeah i heard you were like basically an evil man perhaps i'd come help you out i think is is interesting as potentially a little bit in this scene pulo's you know, upset that he's, he thinks Brennus is going to be punished for claiming he's the son of Hades. I feel like you have a little bit of the angel and a potential devil on the shoulder of Brennus. I have no idea. That's just my, my gut instinct. This mask shows back up on the scene. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a fun perspective. You know, this whole notion of like Mark Anthony told him like, listen, you could go to all the traditional liberties of malpractices, nothing that's going to disrupt trade or politics. Right. And, and, and mask they're soldiers. These guys were soldiers that did horrible stuff to people. Right. They're a little bit like cynical. They're a little bit jaded. And so for mask to come back as for is like giving him the rundown, like, look, man, we are not soldiers anymore. We're like pimps and murderers and thieves. And like, we're going to do bad stuff, you know, but ultimately like a soldier without a war, that's a tough position to be in. We kind of saw it in season one, right. Of like the Lucius Ferenis is going to go be a butcher arc. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This yeah. did not work out well for him, you know, yeah. uh, like Pulo being the knife man for Erastes by the end of the season, obviously. So the notion of Maskeus is like, Oh yeah, I heard my old commander is like a crime boss and is like a total monster that everybody's terrified of. Like, is that that different from Julius Caesar? Except that Caesar has like the approval of the Senate with like the political acumen to maneuver a little bit differently, right? So his like willingness to come indulge in this trade of like violence and corruption alongside yeah. his old buddies is pretty good, especially when you know he's got that like veteran loyalty that he was gonna break Pulo out, but. He deferred to Varanus when Varanus was like, no, dude, you can't, you can't do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, we didn't really talk about what the deal is that like he offers that eventually they agree after he, he sort of smashes the, um, the, the pillar, the pillar. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But it's basically they'll each get 5,000 denarii each month. And then also they, so they will stop doing, they'll turn to, I think traditional liberties and malpractices, nothing that will disrupt uh, trade or politics, they'll limit themselves to their traditional liberties and practices, and that they will be called upon should they be needed uh, to resolve any disputes that are happening. So, Grace, it's yeah. La Cosa Nostra, man. I mean, yeah. like, this is Lucius Ferranis, Godfather, part yeah. zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so good. He's like pulling together the crime families, you know? And, yeah. like, I, I don't know. It's a really interesting dynamic to explore in terms of ancient Rome. Uh, I'm like a huge Sopranos fan. My last name is Filiberto, and I grew up in the yeah. greater New York metropolitan region. So, like, make what assumptions you might, my friends, you know? This is like a culture that is, um, 
always been kind of interesting to me in the contemporary age certainly and that places a good deal of like honor on the tradition and on the heritage and on like we've been doing this since time immemorial you know so this like very simplistic like crime boss structure that he's putting together it's, it's pretty compelling you know yeah one thing i i will say i'm very happy to see at the end of the episode we get the reveal that um his children and first i want to go on a little bit of a, a turn we've never talked about the fact that he has these um two daughters and they're called verena the elder and verena the younger what it what would i mean i know the idea is like you name your kids after like we've seen this i someone told like yeah octavian and octavius and you know whatever Julius caesar's daughter was julia yes yeah, you like couldn't that. have yeah. put a spin on verena the elder you couldn't have put a spin on verena the younger you couldn't have like oh it's verenus it's for you know what i guess I, I that's keep, what his name is but i keep mentioning it grace because it's a game that like you got for me but crusader kings 3 i was yeah. playing a couple of weeks ago and i definitely had a daughter that i named beatrice one of my like monarchs and then like a few years later i had a daughter that and i named beatrice again it. yeah and i was like oh damn it yeah. damn it and i definitely prefer one of the beatrices well, like one of the beatrices yeah. is a giant pain in the ass the other one has been great really helping the dynasty out so yeah. um, <laughs> i like i can sympathize but honestly Verena's like you only had two kids, man. It was that hard. You couldn't just give them two separate names. Well, and then Lucius. There is Lucius. Yeah. But I, I, this is a long way to get to this joke, but I'm very glad to see his daughters are there because I was really worried as a crime boss, he wouldn't have been able to say, he's like, you come to me on my daughter's birthday. No wedding yeah. is it wedding? It's not wedding. her birthday. It's, it's not it's her birthday. Wedding. It's her wedding. Yeah. I fumbled the joke, but that's fine. That's okay. That's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. Let's uh, let's put some people into the arena, Rich. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention. I, this is where I was stumbling. Is that we did? I think a little bit of an oopsie, Rich. We are watching ahead sometimes to to get as many recordings as possible. It's this episode where Timon's brother comes, uh, 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 Levi. Right. We talked about it last episode. Um, I don't think we need to touch on it. It's, you know, we talked about everything in the last episode, but it that's is my bad. Episode. No, it's fine. It's totally fine. It was uh, happens because we're trying to. We're thinking about so much Rome. I know. Yeah, it's Passover. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Passover element that like drew me back to it because I did watch these two in a bundle. But the other element of why I think that that first episode is named Passover is because you're dealing with like the Calends of February. Calends. Uh, uh, calendar calends right yeah. but it's like the last day of the month yeah. and so it's the transition into march and this is like traditionally around the time that passover occurs right. as well which is probably why it was named that it had nothing to do with like timon and his brother but the, the timon and his brother story is like pretty interesting we did talk about it last time uh we are doubling them we're thinking about rome all the time grace i'm sorry that's my bad we gotta yeah. watch sometimes we gotta watch multiple episodes in a row and then we talk about them so that's you know our bad we'll we'll we'll, we'll straighten up we'll get it i faux pod uh yeah no, i okay. know that you're a black-hearted villain and like despite being a son of hades i don't want to get in your way i, I will okay. defer to your control here yeah. all right let's put some people into the arena i get to nominate first you do you think about this um hmm. octavian does get beat up but i feel like uh he mm, this is tough i don't know that anybody has a this is a tricky trade. one it's a really tricky one you know i feel like i got one like decent pick here but i'm kind of struggling of like who i'm gonna go with if you pick that person i honestly don't know because i feel like nobody has so I, I basically everybody has something that i feel like works against them like yeah i, I am gonna put octavian in i think i think that Ooh. like obviously the like downside is like his mom and his stepdad are pretty mad at him uh they they beat him up basically so that's not good 
but I do feel like for the most part, he gets one over. I'm working. He's like everyone, citizens of Rome, take your take your money. He's, he's he's a, he does take out a massive loan. He's kind of in debt, but I'll still back Octavian. I think that's okay. He doesn't have to pay back those like student loan interest rates or whatever. Right. I think that um, I <laughs> I like that pick. I think it's a good one. Part of me is like, oh, Cleopatra, but she doesn't really have like a strong, super strong showing. Like she holds her own. She holds her backbone. She doesn't necessarily get anything that she yeah, wants. She get anything she wants. Yeah. So I'm gonna actually go for. Um, for Lucius Veredas, the crime boss. And yeah, I think that like the big win for him is like his kids are actually kids alive, are alive. And he's sworn himself to a new dark god that is terrifying. Is yeah. enough to like scare the other crime bosses and to like return his old soldiers to him. He gets his boy coming back, like super loyal, who's like, I'll swear myself to you, you black-hearted villain. Yes, let us go do crime enterprises. I feel like it's yeah. a pretty good Varanus episode. I'll give it to Varanus. I think Varanus potentially has a I mean it's is evil, but I don't you know. We give yeah, tons like, of points for doing evil stuff. You know that's the trajectory he's on, and he's moving the ball down down the field or whatever. You know, Ooh, Octavian takes his first loss then here uh, since he's been put in. Um, he was on track for a Caesar-like run. It would have went three and zero, but instead he goes two and one, and Brennus goes four and two, which means he has the most wins of anybody in the show. So that's he's got the most appearances too. I think, right? Yeah, Brennus uh, quietly stealing the show. Like I love Titus Pulo. I think that he's like the the great ingredient of the show but Varenus is more like the kind of helmsman is like steering the ship in a lot of ways you know he's the steady hand at the rudder that I think we need here yeah I think that that's that's fair I really like Octavian but I'm happy for him to uh to take one uh to Varenus do you have a scene you want to highlight Rich uh it's gotta be like I am a son of Hades it's just so good he goes like wild man he just throws himself into it like to go from like his catatonic laying with like the dead head of Erastes Fulman for the only emotional comfort he won't take down the morning beads to like Mark Anthony kicks that door in and like gives him a what for and he really Really snaps to attention grace like he comes out with some huge huge energy like I, the i am a son of hades man i'm like oh my god this is incredible you know yeah it's pretty good um i don't know if there's something particularly oh there's there is yeah. there is a point uh I, I won't say it i'll wait till after you give yours i'm sorry no you can go what do you got uh, the, the like the the potential other option here is when, isn't it? What's his name? Uh, when he comes to like Varenus at the tavern, and there he's talking to Pulo oh. about like all roads lead to the same place, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a That's very like, yes. fun little wink and a nod from Maskius. All roads lead to the same place, you know. Yeah, I do have the line that uh, Atia whispers to Cleopatra, which is "Die screaming, you pig spawn trollop," yeah. which is pretty intense. Pretty intense. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's yeah. Good. yeah. I don't know that there's anything like particular. I, I do like, I did like Pasca being like, I, okay, it's the Mark Antony. Like, is this this episode where he's, that's the last episode. Is he where, no, it's this episode, right? Where everybody's like, can I have money? Can I get, can I have my inheritance? And Pasca's like, I would like to talk about my endowment. He's like, God, everybody wants to talk about Yeah, money. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. surrounded by these money people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pasca yeah. being like, hey, I'd like to talk about being free. And he's like, not now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> poor pasca man yeah um all right that is season two episode two son of hades eight episodes left here on our run of the fall of rome we will be back tomorrow with one more episode of this week and then we'll take the weekend off and be back next uh until then rich where can people find you i'm at dm philly out there on the internet and all the places go hit me up my dms are open on twitter 
Yeah, I'm on socials at High from Grace or at Go for Grace. And we'll be back tomorrow as we talk about Rome every single day.